who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And rage on. Realm presents Tales Beyond Time, episode 32. Welcome, fellow travelers, to Tales Beyond Time, presented by Realm. I'm Marco Palmieri, your guide on another terrifying journey. We're starting a new two-part special this week, featuring award-winning Canadian writer Kelly Robson. And we're especially excited to share her Nebula-winning novelette, A Human Stain, originally published in 2017 on Tor.com and narrated for Realm by Shiromi Arserio. It's a delightfully disturbing tale about a young governess, a creepy castle, and family secrets. I'm very pleased to present A Human Stain, Part 1. Peter's little French nursemaid was just the type of rosy young thing Helen liked, but there was something strange about her mouth. She was shy and wouldn't speak, but that was no matter. Helen could keep the conversation going all by herself. Our journey was awful. Paris to Strasbourg clattered along fast enough, but the leg to Munich would have been quicker by cart. And Salzburg, the train was outpaced by a donkey. Helen laughed at her own joke. Mimi tied a knot on a neat patch of darning and began working on another stocking. Helen had first seen the nursemaid's pretty face that morning, looking down from one of the house's highest windows as she and Birchen Lambrecht rode across the lake with their luggage crammed in a tippy little skiff. Even at a distance, Helen could tell she was a beauty. Birchen had retreated to the library as soon as they walked through the front door, no doubt to cry in private over his brother's death after holding in his grief through the long trip from Paris. Helen had been left with the choice to sit in the kitchen with two dour servants, lurk alone in the mouldering front parlour, or carry her coffee cup up the narrow spiral staircase and see that beauty up close. The climb was only a little higher than the Parisian garret Helen had lived in the past three months, but the stairs were so steep she had been puffing hard by the time she got to the top. 
The effort was worthwhile, though. If the best cure for a broken heart was a new young love, Helen suspected hers would be soon mended. We had a melancholy journey. Herr Lambrecht was deeply saddened to arrive here at his childhood home without his brother to welcome him. He didn't want to leave Paris. Helen sipped her cooling coffee. Have you ever been to Paris? Mimi kept her head down. So shy. Couldn't even bring herself to answer a simple question. Peter sat on the rug and stacked the gilded letter blocks Birchen had brought him. For a newly orphaned child, he seemed content enough, but he was pale. His bloodless skin nearly translucent against the deep blue velvet of his jacket. He seemed far too big for nursery toys. Six or seven years old, she thought. Nearly old enough to be sent away to school, but what did Helen know about children? In any case, he seemed a good-natured, quiet boy. Nimble, graceful even. He took care to keep the blocks on the rug when he toppled the stack. She ought to ask him to put the blocks in alphabet order, see how much his mother had taught him before she passed away. But not today, and probably not tomorrow either. A motherless, fatherless boy deserved a holiday, and she was tired from travel. The servants here were bound to be old-fashioned, but none of them would judge her for relaxing in a sunny window with a cup of coffee after a long journey. They would judge her, though, if they thought she was Birchen's mistress. She would be at Merisi all summer, so she needed to be on good terms with them, and especially with Mimi. We travelled in separate cars, of course. Herr Lambrecht is a proper, old-fashioned sort of gentleman. Helen stifled a laugh. Birchen was nothing of the sort, but certainly no danger to any woman. The ladies' coach was comfortable and elegant, but just as slow as the rest of the train. Still no reaction. It was a feeble joke, but Helen doubted the nursemaid ever heard better. Perhaps the girl was simple, but so lovely. Roses and snow and dark, dark hair. Eighteen or twenty, no more. What a shame about her mouth. Bad teeth, perhaps. Helen twisted in her seat and looked out the window. The Marisee was a narrow blade of lake hemmed in tight by the Bavarian Alps. Their peaks tore into the summer sky like teeth on a ragged jaw, doubled in the mirror surface of the lake below. It was just the sort of alpine vista that sent English tourists skittering across the Alps with their easels and folding chairs, pencils and watercolours. The view of the house itself was unmatched. Helen had been expecting something grand, but as they had rowed up the lake, she was surprised she hadn't seen Birchen's family home, reproduced in every print shop from London to Berlin, alongside famous views of Schloss Neuschwanstein and Schloss Hohenschwangau. Schloss Merisi was a miniature version of those grand castles, tall and narrow, as if someone had carved off a piece of Neuschwanstein's oldest wing and set it down on the edge of the lake. Only four stories, but with no other structure for scale, it towered above the shore, the rake of its reef lines echoing the peaks above, grey stone walls picked out in relief against the steep, forested mountainside. Not a true castle, no keep or tower, but add a turret or two, and that's what the tourists would call it. No tourists here to admire it, though. Too remote, no roads, no neighbours, no inns or hotels. From what Helen could see as she sat high in the fourth-floor nursery window, the valley was deserted, not even a hut or cabin on the lakeshore. 
She'd never been to a place so isolated. Winter would make it even more lonely, but by then she would be long gone. Back in London at worst, unless her luck changed. When she turned from the window, Peter had disappeared. The door swung on its hinges. Where did Peter go? Helen asked. Mimi didn't answer. To fetch a toy, perhaps? Mimi bent closer to her needle. Helen carried her coffee cup to the door and called out softly in German, Peter, come back to the nursery this instant. When there was no answer, she repeated it in French. I suppose Peter does this often, Helen said. He thinks it's fun to hide from you. Mimi's lips quivered. Oui, she said. Come along then. Show me his hiding places. The nursemaid ignored her. Helen resisted the urge to pluck the darning from Mimi's hands. If I were newly orphaned, I might hide too, just to see if anyone cared enough to search for me. Won't you help me look? Helen smiled, pouring all her charm into the request, a not inconsiderable amount to judge by the effect she had on Parisian women, but it was no use. Mimi might be made of stone. To hell with you, she said in English under her breath and slammed the nursery door behind her. It was barely even an oath. She knew much filthier curses in a variety of languages. Her last lover had liked to hear her swear. But no more. That life had cast Helen off. All she had left in Paris were her debts. The clock chimed noon. When it stopped, the house was silent. Not a squeak or creak. No sign of Biechen or the servants. No sound from the attics above or the floors below. She padded over to the staircase and gazed down the dizzying stone spiral that formed the house's hollow spine. Steps found out from the spiral, each one polished and worn down in the centre from centuries of use. Peter, she called. Come back to the nursery, please. No reply. All right, she sang out. I'm coming to find you. Who could blame the child for wanting to play a game? Peter had no playmates. She could indulge him just this once. And it gave her a good excuse to snoop through the house. By the time Helen had worked her way through the top two floors, it was obvious that the servants were outmatched by the housekeeping. The heavy old furniture was scarred and peeling, the blankets and drapes threadbare and musty, the carpets veiled with a fine layer of cobwebs that separated and curled around her every footstep. The surfaces were furred with a fine white dust that coated the back of her throat and lay salty on her tongue. After a half hour of wiggling under beds and rifling through closets and wardrobes, she was thirsty as if she'd been wandering the desert. In old houses, the worst furniture was banished to the highest floors. As Helen descended, she expected the furnishings to become newer, Lighter, prettier, if just as dusty. In the main rooms, the ones Peter's mother would have used, the furniture was the same. Blackened oak carved into intricate birds, fish and beasts. The sort of furniture that infested Black Forest hunting lodges, but raw and awkward, as if one of the family's great uncles had taken up a late-in-life passion for woodcarving and filled the house with his amateur efforts. Still... If she could get the servants to clean it properly, she might adopt the large sitting room as her own. She could teach Peter just as well there as in the nursery. 
It would save her from climbing up and down stairs all day long. And though the sofa was backed by a winding serpent with a gaping maw, it was still a more likely setting for seducing a nursemaid than a drafty nursery window seat. Under one of the beds, she found a thin rib from a rack of lamb, riddled with tooth marks. Somewhere in the house was a dog. She'd have to take care to make friends with it. Still no sign of Peter. Perhaps he was a troubled child, despite his placid looks. If so, this summer wouldn't be the holiday Birchen had promised. She'd found him in a booth at Bistro Belon-Bourich, drowning himself in cognac. Within five minutes, he'd offered to pay her to join him for the summer at his family home and teach his nephew English. It would be easy, he said. Birchen knew how badly she needed money. He was always so kind, famous for his generosity among the boys of Montparnasse and Pigalle. Helen tapped the rib in her palm as she descended to the ground floor. There, the staircase widened and spread into the foyer, forming a wide, grand structure. At the back of the foyer, the stairs continued through a narrow slot in the floor. To the cellars, no doubt. Exploring down there would be an adventure. Helen's trunk still sat by the front door, waiting for the steward to bring it upstairs. On the near side of the foyer, tobacco smoke leaked from the library. It smelled heavenly. She hadn't been able to afford cigarettes for months. She'd almost ceased yearning for the taste of tobacco, but her mouth watered for it now. Biechen would give her a cigarette if she asked for one, but no. She wouldn't disturb him. He had kept a brave face all through their journey. He deserved some time alone with his grief. She padded into the murky parlour opposite the library and pulled aside the heavy green drapes, holding her breath against the dust. The sun was high above the mountains. The lake gleamed with light. Dust motes swarmed the air. The sunlight turned the oak furniture chalky, the heavy brocade upholstery nearly pastel. The walls were festooned with hunting trophies, stuffed and mounted heads of deer, wild goats, even two wolves and a bear. Their glass eyes stared down through the cobwebs, as if alarmed by the state of the housekeeping. She skated her finger through the dust on the windowsill. P-E-T-E-R, she wrote in block letters. When she began the boys' lessons, there'd be no need for workbooks and pencils. Any flat surface could be used as a slate. It might embarrass the servants into doing their work. Stepping back from the window, her foot jittered over a lump on the floor. Two tiny bones nestled under the carpet's green fringe. Dry old gnawed leavings from a pair of veal chops. She tucked them in her pocket with the lamb bone. Then, in the dining room, she found a jawbone under a chair. Small, from a roast piglet. She put it in her pocket. Helen found her way to the kitchen at the back of the ground floor. An old woman chopped carrots at the table, her wrinkled jowls quivering with every blow of the knife. Beside her, the steward crouched over a cup of coffee. He was even older than the cook, his skin liver-spotted with age. They watched as Helen poured herself a glass of water from the stoneware jug. Peter likes to play games, she said in German. I can't find him anywhere. The cook began fussing with the coffee pot. The steward kept to his seat. We haven't seen the boy, Fraulein York. I hardly expected bad behavior from him on my very first morning at Meresy.
The boy is with the nursemaid. He is always with the nursemaid. The steward's tone was stern. How can you say that? He's certainly not with her now. She brushed cobwebs from her dress. I've searched the house thoroughly, as you can very well see. You must continue to look for him, Fraulein, the steward said. The cook bit into a carrot. Her jowls wobbled with every crunch. They were united against her, but it only made sense. They were old country people, and she was just an English stranger in a dirty, dusty dress. Raising her voice would win her no friends. Could you bring my trunk up to my room? She smiled brightly. I'd like to change out of my travelling clothes. Yes, Fräulein York, the steward said. The cook went back to chopping carrots. The steward sipped his coffee. Did they expect her to retreat now? There is still the matter of Peter, Helen said. The cook's knife slipped. Carrots scattered across the floor. The French girl takes care of the boy. The cook's words were barely understandable, some kind of antique form of Bavarian. He's not allowed in the kitchen. The steward's mouth worked, thin lips stretching over his stained teeth. Is that true? Helen asked the steward. Why not? The steward covered the cook's hand with his own. The boy's welfare is your business now, Fräulein. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Check out new episodes Mondays and Fridays for a wide variety of topics and news episodes. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rage on. Helen found Peter at the back of the freezing cellar, hunkering in front of a door set deep into rock. The walls were caked with frost. The boy's breath puffed like smoke. Aren't you cold? she asked. Come back upstairs now. Bitter, miss, the boy said. 
He wedged two fingers under the door, then crouched lower, head bobbing as he worked them deeper and deeper. His hair was neatly parted, two blonde wings on either side of a streak of skin pale as a grub. Whatever he was up to, whatever he thought he was going to find on the other side of the door, he was fully engrossed by it. Helen let him have his fun for a few minutes while she poked around the cellar, ducking under the low spines of the vaulted ceiling. On the wall opposite the door, bottles were stacked into head-sized alcoves in pyramids of six. She wiped the dust off a few labels. French, and not that old. Champagne, Bordeaux, Burgundy. More than 300 bottles. Enough to last the summer. The cellar smelled salty. It must have been used for aging and preserving meat in the past. The cold air's salty tang flooded her dry mouth with spit. What she wouldn't give for a piece of pork right now, hot and juicy. Her stomach growled. Perhaps the cook could be persuaded to let her explore the kitchen larder. Helen wandered back to the boy. Come along, Peter, that's enough. Mimi is waiting for you. The light from her candle jittered across the brass plate bolted to the door's face. The tarnished metal was crusted with frost. She stepped closer, lifting her candle. It was a shield, griffins, an eagle, a crown. She nudged Peter's foot with her toe. Time to go back upstairs. He was stretched out on his belly now. Peter, come along this instant. An edge came into her voice. She was tired of being ignored by everyone in the house. He pulled something from under the door and put it in his mouth. Stop that! She grabbed Peter's collar and hauled him across the cellar to the stairs. He pitched forward onto his hands and knees. The object popped out of his mouth and bounced off the bottom step. Helen picked it up and turned it over in her palm. It was a tiny bone, slender, fragile, and wet with spit. She stared at Peter. That's disgusting. What are you thinking? Mama, he sobbed. His thin shoulders quivered under the velvet jacket. Mama! Remorse knifed through her. She tossed the bone aside, scooped him into her arms, and hauled him upstairs. Hush, she said, patting his quaking back as he sobbed. Tobacco smoke leaking from the library had turned the air in the foyer grey. Her trunk still crouched by the front door. Helen lowered Peter to his feet. He was heavy. She couldn't possibly carry him up to the nursery. She'd be gasping. Helen squeezed his bony shoulders. You're a good boy, aren't you? He wiped his nose on his sleeve and nodded. Good. No more crying. She lugged the trunk upstairs and dropped it in her room. Then she took the boy's hand and called up the spine of the staircase for Mimi. When her pretty face appeared at the top of the spiral, Helen shooed the boy upstairs. Take care of him, won't you? Helen said. There'll be no lessons today. Not tomorrow either. Then we'll see. Oui. Mimi said. When Biehen came to dinner, he was already drunk. The scarlet cheeks above his brown beard were so bright it looked like he'd been slapped. So many letters. My brother's desk is stuffed to bursting. Biehen offered Helen a cigarette. I can't understand them. I have no head for business, Mousy. Helen blew smoke at him. You always say that, but you seem to manage your own affairs well enough. I must go to Munich for advice. 
I'll be back soon, I promise. Two days at most. Don't stay away too long. You'll come back to an empty wine cellar and a pregnant nursemaid. He giggled. If that happens, it must be God's will. Helen opened her mouth to make a joke about the furniture, but managed to stop herself in time despite the free flow of wine. The dining room chairs were particularly awful. Each one was topped by a sea serpent, thick and twisting, with staring eyes faced with mother of pearl. Under it was a rudely rendered pair of human forms, male and female, and beneath them were thumb-sized lumps, the shape of fat grubs. They dug into the small of Helen's back. Portraits glared down at the table from the surrounding walls, wan, blonde children with innocent expressionless faces, handsome, smiling men and women, brown-haired and robust just like Birchen, and sickly-looking older people, prematurely aged, with smooth grey skin and straggly black hair, framing hollow, staring eyes. When the clock struck seven, they were halfway into the third bottle of claret. Birchen was diagonal in his chair. Time for me to play Peter Familius, he called out. Mimi, ici. Mimi appeared at the door, clutching Peter's hand. Now, Mimi, Birchen slurred in French. Is Peter behaving well? Is he in good health? Oui, said Mimi. Helen watched close as the girl spoke. Yes, some of her teeth were missing, but how many? Helen pretended to yawn, making a dramatic pantomime of it and sighing ecstatically. Mimi's eyes watered as she tried not to yawn in response. When her lips curled back, Helen caught a quick glimpse into her mouth. Her front teeth were gone, gums worn down to gleaming bone. Candlelight glinted on metal wire twisted through her molars. Mimi clapped her hand over her mouth. Helen reached for a cigarette and pretended she hadn't noticed. Poor girl. Nothing more sad than young beauty in ruin. Peter, come here, Birchen said. With rough hands, he examined Peter's fingernails and scalp, looked into his ears, then pried open his mouth and poked a finger along his gums. She knew what that felt like. Her father had done the same. His fingers had tasted of ash and ink. One of Peter's front teeth was loose, you're losing your first tooth, he said. Does it hurt? Peter shook his head. Birchen wiggled it with the tip of a finger. Let's pluck it out now and be done with it. Peter ran to Mimi and hid his face in her skirts. Oh, come, Peter, Birchen laughed. I'll tie it to the doorknob with a bit of string. It'll be over in a moment. Peter clutched Mimi's waist. No? Then we'll get an apple and you can bite into it like this. He mimed, raising an apple to his mouth and chomping down. You can do that, can't you? No, uncle. Peter's voice was muffled against Mimi's hip. The girl had backed against the wall and was inching toward the door. Birchen was taking this too far. It's late, Herr Lambrecht, Helen said. Let the girl take Peter to bed. Well then, the tooth will fall out on its own and then this will be yours. Herr Lambrecht put a silver coin on the table. Miss York will keep it for you. Mimi and Boy slipped out the door. How was my performance? Birchen asked. Was I convincing? Fairy, I can hardly believe you never had children. God forbid. Birchen shuddered and drained his wine glass. Did I ever tell you about my nursemaid, 
Bruna was her name. She was devoted to me. He would have liked her. Very pretty. But like Mimi, not much of a talker. Nor like you. Nothing can keep me from saying what I think. Helen reached into her pocket and set the bones on the stained tablecloth. For example, your servants are lax, she said. He shrugged. What can be done? They're old. Who would choose to live here if they could be anywhere else? After dinner, they took their wine out the front door and onto the wide front terrace. Evening stars twinkled above looming mountains and a lake shore veiled in mist. The three sides of the terrace stepped straight down into the water, like a dock or jetty. The skiff bobbed alongside, tied to an iron ring. That morning the water had been an inky sapphire, the colour so brilliant it seemed to cling to the oars with Birchen's every stroke. Under the darkening sky it was tar black and viscous. In the distance a dark object broke the surface, sending lazy ripples across the water. Helen squinted. Birchen followed her gaze. Just a log, that's all. I have a present for you. He pressed a silver cigarette case into her hand. It was her own. She'd pawned it for rent money three months ago. And it was full. Forty slender cigarettes lined up with care. She grinned. If we were back at the Bellon Bourriche, I could put on a pair of tight trousers and sing you a song as many a young man has done. But you don't want me sitting in your lap any more than I want to be there. So I'll just say thank you. Miss nothing. For you'll be happy here, Mousy. Of course, it's so beautiful. Though I'm not sure how long I can stand to live in a place where nobody appreciates my jokes. He laughed. Mercy is beautiful, but it can be a little confining. I'll show you. He led her to the edge of the terrace to peer around the side of the house. Its walls jutted straight down into the water, raising the house's profile far beyond the shore. Behind, the steep mountainsides advanced on the lake, threatening to topple the house into the water. You don't want to fall in. It's deep and so cold it'll knock the breath right out of you. He braced himself against the wall with an unsteady hand. I suppose this was a fortress once, said Helen holding the border of some medieval Bavarian principality. Birchen patted the wall. A fortress, yes, but it never protected a border. It protected the salt. Your family had salt mines, Helen asked. No wonder Birchen was wealthy. The mines belonged to the Holy Roman Emperor. The crown owed much of its wealth to Mercy. More precious than gold once, this salt. My family protected it. Birchen peered over the edge of the terrace. The water clung to the sides of the house. A shadowed stain crept up the foundation. Don't fall in, he repeated. In winter, it's somewhat safer. When the ice forms, you can ski across the lake or skate if the snow has blown away. But even then, you must be careful. She laughed. You've convinced me. I'll be careful to be far, far from Merisi by winter. Of course, Mousy. Birchen forced a chuckle. Naples for the winter. Neapolitan widows like tall English women like you. Or Athens, if you please. The world is open to us. We are rich, happy, and at liberty. Birchen was trying too hard to be jolly. 
Your new responsibility is eating at you, isn't it, Björn? She threaded her hand through the crook of his arm and drew him gently away from the water's edge. Why worry? Send Peter away to school. In England, many boys are sent away at his age. Maybe you're right. After the summer, if you think he's ready, I'll take your advice. What do I know about children? Next to nothing. I told you so in Paris. You couldn't find a less experienced fraud of a governess. Birchen patted her hand. You're a woman. It will come naturally to you. I doubt that very much. Helen pulled her hand away. But how much damage can I do in one summer? I'll teach him a little English at least. That's fine, Malzi. Do your best. She grinned. Are you sure you're not his father? Peter favors you. A family resemblance. The last trace of dusk drained behind the mountains and Birchen's mood darkened with the sky, his gaze fixed on the floating log. If you think I'll develop a father's feelings, you're wrong. Birchen's deep voice rose to a whine. It's not fair to shackle me to a child that's not mine. And it's not fair to the child either. He should have a mother's love, devoted and selfless. What happened to his mother? It was grotesque. She swelled larger than this. Birchen held his arms out, encircling a huge belly. How many babies can a woman's body contain? Twins are common. Triplets not unheard of. I can't imagine how women survive even one, can you? Helen shook her head. Sour wine burned the back of her throat. My brother's fault. He should have been more careful than to get so many babies in his wife. I don't think it works that way, Helen said. It does in our family. One is fine. They should have been content with Peter and stopped there. But no, they had to have more children. And now they've all joined our family in the crypt. Birchen stared at the house's foundation stones. Helen followed his gaze. Do you mean there are tombs in your cellar? The door in the cellar leads to a crypt. He nodded. I'll go there too, eventually. Not soon, I'm still young. He shrugged his broad shoulders. I try not to think about such things. Paris makes it easy to forget. A chill breeze stirred the water. She put her empty wine glass down and chafed her arms. And your brother? My brother couldn't live without his wife. We had to join her. Let's go in, it's getting cold. Birchen shook his head. I can't leave you out here alone, she insisted, pulling on his elbow. You're too melancholy. Don't worry about me, Mozzi, he laughed. I have no urge to join my family. I love my life in Paris too much to give it up yet. At the door, she stopped, half in, half out of the house. Do you know what happened to Mimi's mouth? She asked. I heard it was an accident, he said, and turned back to the lake. Chilling so far, isn't it? But I promise there are many more chills to follow when we return for part two in our next episode. While you wait, why not try the horror comedy Black Friday, narrated by Portlandia's Fred Armisen, in which the living dead overrun a big box store on the eve of the busiest shopping day of the year. Or you might try Silverwood, 
Deep in the redwood forests of California, a monster from another dimension is preying upon the campers roaming those same woods. Both shows are out now and available wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, whatever dimension you're in, safe travels. You're listening to Tales Beyond Time, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot-button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement, as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye. Tales Beyond Time, episode 32, features a human stain, written by Kelly Robson. It is produced by Mary Osadolahi and Marco Palmieri, associate produced by Alexis Latshaw, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and performed by Sharomi Arsario. Audio produced by Spoken Realms. Additional editing by Nicholas Papaleo. Cover art by Kendall Thomas.